and welcome to Pick 6 Movies, you know, the informative and hilarious podcast where each season the hosts select six movies all related to a common theme. Then, on each episode, they give some history behind how and why the movie got made. That's the interesting part. And then following that, the two hosts give you a full review of the movie with snarky remarks and silly voices and all manner of jokes and nonsense. That's the hilarious part. Who are these hosts of which I speak? Well, it's none other than me, Chad Cooper, and my lifelong pal and dearest friend in the whole wide world, Mr. Bo Ranstall. This season's theme is Stream On, featuring half a dozen movies that were made for or distributed by streaming services. And this is the season finale, where we are headed back into the magical land of Bezos, also known as Amazon Prime Video. This is the season finale, and boy, do we have a movie for you, The Tomorrow War. It's got time travel and big-name stars like Chris Pratt from Jurassic World and the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and who else is in here? Oh, J.K. Simmons from those Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, and uh, he's also the voice of the Peanut M&M. See? I told you this podcast was informative. What else is in this movie? We got, uh, we got some time travel, and there's plot holes. There's thin character development. There's, oh, an over-reliance on mid-tier computer graphics. It's a real mess. It's perfect for us. Speaking of time travel, let's not waste any more time and get Mr. Bo Ransdell in here to fill our heads with more interesting bits of tid. Then I'll be back in just a few minutes to share my thoughts on this, the season finale of season 23. Bo, get in here and do that thing that you do oh so well. As we wrap our season all about streaming movies, it's only right we talk about one of the biggest deals in streaming history, at least of this recording. It used to be that releasing something straight to video was a mark of inferior quality. Nobody expected The Land Before Time 2 The Great Valley Adventure to be a big hit when it was in production, and nobody in the making of the movie ever expected to see it in a theater. And so, it didn't show up in a theater. There was a whole generation of straight-to-video movies when the VHS boom hit, Horror movies, schlocky action movies, animated movies, kids movies, the kind of entertainment that could be produced on the cheap, and if enough blockbusters and mom and pop video stores bought your movie to put on their shelves, you could turn a few bucks and make your next straight-to-video masterpiece. Sometimes, a movie would be good enough that it would make the unlikely leap from straight-to-video to theatrical. Batman Mask of the Phantasm, a feature-length spinoff of the very well-regarded Batman the Animated Series, is a fine example. While the movie was being made, Warner Brothers had such confidence in the quality of the movie, they threw it in theaters, where it was critically well-received, but the box office was fairly unimpressive. And not for nothing, but straight-to-video, like most advancements in Western civilization, was ushered in by the robust pornography industry. Like 3D and video compression, porn led the way. Without that back room with the saloon doors, we might never have had the VHS and DVD boom at all. And then came Netflix. First, it was just the old get-it-in-the-mail routine. But once again, with porn leading the charge, video compression was good enough that you could stream movies straight to your home. You didn't have to go to a video store. Heck, you didn't even have to go to your mailbox. Just plop your fat ass on the couch, hit the remote, and there was a movie. And for a while, that's all you needed. 
Netflix had the biggest online library of movies, and then in the 2010s, Netflix decided to start buying up movies that would only appear on their service. It would only take a couple of years before Netflix, seeing the benefit of exclusive content, decided to start making their own stuff. The first Netflix original was the show Lilyhammer, and then House of Cards in 2013. A year later, House of Cards racked up four Emmys and a Golden Globe. Not only was the show lucrative for Netflix, but it brought with it some honest-to-goodness credibility. A couple of years earlier, Amazon launched their Prime video service, setting the stage for competition between the two. It began producing some of its own shows, like Transparent. In 2015, HBO launched their streaming service also. Then there was YouTube TV, and Apple TV+, and Peacock, and Disney+, and Hulu, and a bunch of others. Some very niche, some looking to nab as many viewers as possible. To paraphrase Yoda, begun the streaming war has. In seemingly no time at all, other channels were jumping on the original content bandwagon. Sitcoms, dramas, epic period pieces, comedy specials, original movies, all in an attempt to woo viewers from an increasingly irrelevant cable and satellite package system. And then the unthinkable happened. A global pandemic. With the spread of COVID-19 and the ensuing shutdown, as we all tried to figure out if this SARS variant was going to kill us all, the weakening theater system took yet another blow when all public spaces became forbidden. To quote Kurt Russell in The Thing, we were all very tired and nobody trusted anybody anymore. And Hollywood, with a bunch of movies made and waiting to be released, began to wonder if we were ever going to go back to theaters. And so they started releasing movies straight to streaming. Disney released Black Widow, a big-budget Marvel affair, along with another Disney offering, Mulan. There were a ton of indies, and some studios held back while others spewed forth remakes of The Witches and the movie Birds of Prey, a sort of sequel to all those DC Justice League movies featuring Harley Quinn. And then the studios began to see that people would pay a little more for movies still in theaters, and the weird hybrid release film was born. Some movies would launch in theaters and also day and date on a streaming platform. And now, with COVID less of a concern and people returning to theaters to see Big Blue Space Cats again, we have arrived at a newish normal, where movies hit theaters and then find their way to a streaming home in just a few weeks. The recent surprise success Megan, about a robot doll, landed in theaters in mid-January. A month later, it's on streaming and with an unrated version to boot. Sure, the big hits like your avatars and your Tops Gun will linger in theaters before landing on streaming, but it's the exception rather than the rule. And a weird inverse has happened, where a Netflix original like Ryan Johnson's Knives Out sequel, Glass Onion, hit theaters a couple of weeks before it premieres on Netflix to take a nibble at some of those big screen dollars before it finds its home in permanence on Netflix. In short, everything right now is a great big streaming mess. Theaters are relying on big budget blockbusters and special events to keep afloat while an ever-expanding library of streaming services have realized that ludicrous spending to woo viewers is threatening their bottom lines in some pretty serious ways. How will all this shake out? Who knows? Maybe the big budget straight to streaming movie is done and we've arrived in a place where the big Marvel movies and epic adventures are theatrical and the smaller indie style movies are all streaming. Or maybe theaters will finally go belly up and it's all streaming. 
Or maybe these streaming services start consolidating into big packages, and maybe they add a live component, and they begin to deliver those live and on-demand packages by a cable to your home. I'm no streaming psychic, but I am fascinated by the contortions of an industry trying to figure out what it is now, after the golden era of movies appears to have waned. And while this writhing and coiling like a wounded snake happens before our glazed eyes, we can turn our attention to one of the bigger budgeted movies to hit one of these streaming platforms. Of course, I'm talking about The Tomorrow War, the Chris Pratt sci-fi action-adventure epic. So how the hell did this thing end up as an Amazon original film instead of being a fancy-pants Hollywood release? I'm so glad you asked, faceless listener. Originally, the movie was called Ghost Draft, and the movie was in development at Paramount for several years. Way back in 2019, Chris Pratt signed on, having been labeled an honest-to-goodness movie star after his work in The Lego Movie and Guardians of the Galaxy and Jurassic World. And in terms of quality, I guess two out of three ain't bad. And he was a solid pick. He's charming, he's got some comedy chops, he was all jacked up with a Marvel movie body, so why not place him at the center of your action movie? Also, he slated to produce this movie. And Chris McKay was going to direct his first live-action feature after doing well with the Lego Batman movie. He had also worked on Moral Oral and Robot Chicken as well. The original script from writer Zach Dean was pitched as a grim tale of a man drafted to fight a war 30 years in the future where the fate of humanity relies on his ability to correct the mistakes of the past. Also, all the soldiers that get sent back to the future, their blood is poisoned with this toxin so that when the aliens kill and eat them, the aliens die. That sounds pretty okay. But Paramount decided that this original version of the script was a little too heavy and dramatic, and have you seen how much these fluffier Marvel movies are making? So how about we lighten up Francis and we make the whole thing a little jokier and more family friendly. And after Chris Pratt signed on and the director was confirmed, the cast was rounded out by some great character actors, including Sam Richardson and Betty Gilpin and J.K. Simmons, among others. In November of 2019, Paramount announced the name Ghost Draft would be changing to The Tomorrow War. It was largely agreed that this was a move to appease the Chinese market, who were pretty quick to ban movies with ghosts and zombies right there in the title, on account of not believing in an afterlife from a state-sponsored point of view. Artist Ken Bartholomew was tapped to work on the creature designs for the film. Bartholomew had done work on the recent Godzilla movies and The Maze Runner, Thor Love and Thunder, Detective Pikachu, among other stuff. He was the one who came up with the spike shooting tentacles, and I quite liked the design, if not necessarily the CGI execution at all the times. In developing the creature design, they looked at rhinoceros and hippopotamus skin, they studied cheetahs and leopards for the way their joints allowed them to run quickly. They looked at snakes for their ability to unhinge their jaws. They looked at marine predators and insects were part of the research. Quote, shark eyes were my inspiration for their eyes because there's something very eerie about black shark eyes, said Ken Bartholomew. The creature's front arms are based on a praying mantis claws and the back plates resemble the shell of a grasshopper. So it's a weird amalgamation of all of these things, a lot of predators and insects, and it all comes together in what I think is a pretty interesting way. The movie was filmed in 2019 in Georgia, filling in for Miami and Iceland for the later parts of the film. A bunch of effects people were brought in to make Georgia look like Miami, as well as bring the creatures and time travel effects to life. All told, the budget landed somewhere around $200 million. 
The original theatrical release date of the movie was Christmas Day 2020. You might remember that Christmas as the one where we all thought we were going to die, and so The Tomorrow War was not released on Christmas Day, but was instead slated for release in late July of 2021. Only things weren't a ton better then. So with a big movie in the can and nowhere to go with it, Paramount made a deal with Amazon to purchase the movie for their service for $200 million, roughly what the movie cost to make. Not a bad deal for Paramount, who got to unload this turkey. And the movie did get a theatrical release in China after all, where it pulled in a little less than $20 million. When it landed on Amazon, it was an unquestionable hit in terms of viewership. It was the most watched original for the streamer at the time, and it garnered billions and billions of watched minutes, which is how they measure these things, I guess. That feels like a lot of minutes to be watching The Tomorrow War, but what do I know? Anyways, these critics were mostly middling on the movie, much like the audience who watched those billions of minutes. They aggregate recommend percentages from viewers, and for Tomorrow War is about 53%, which was still 10% higher than the usual fare. That also doesn't seem great, but what do I know? I just watch movies and complain about it on the internet. And to prove how little I know, word of a sequel has been buzzing for a while, since July of 2021. The original cast, at least the ones who weren't eaten, are all slated to return, along with director Chris McKay. Given the state of things in streamers these days, that might have been canned, but the success of The Tomorrow War on Amazon might still make it a reality. It might even woo some Paramount bigwig to put the sequel in theaters, which would be a strange turn of events for a movie that had to go to streaming because of a pandemic to generate a sequel that's got to go to theaters because the streamers aren't doing so well. We live in interesting times, my friends. The critical response, however, suggested the movie was a routine, lazy, uninspired movie with some good performances and not much else to recommend it. IGN's review hues closest to my own in calling it, quote, supremely stupid sci-fi. But am I alone in this evaluation? Could my partner in time crime, Chad Cooper, have something to say that might make me wind back the clock to reevaluate this clunky and overly long alien encounter? Why, there's only one way to find out. Let's get Chad in here and zap ourselves into a discussion of the movie. Ladies and gentlemen, soldiers and white spikes, it's 2021's The Tomorrow War. Welcome back to yet another episode of Pick 6 Movies, and we are ending this season with a real thump. I am (laughs) one of the people that will be thumping around in this particular episode. My name is Bo. With me as ever is my my pal Chad. How are you, sir? This war will end tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow it'll be gone. Just thinking, um... This is the worst movie we watched this season, Bo. If you'd asked me back when we watched Bright, I was like, oh, this is the worst. And then there was a new bottom when Army of the Dead showed up. 
<laughs> and yeah, I was yeah. like, this is our worst. Then I watched this. This is the worst. Th- when we rank him at the end, this is my bottom. That's interesting because I don't know that I disagree. I'm still kind of, there's a real race to the bottom this season. I will say this. This is the only movie out of all the ones that we watched that I had watched previously. Like I'd seen Army of the Dead before mm-hmm. um, and Bird Box before and this before. This was right. the only one of those three that I just turned off with like 45 minutes left. Right. Like, That's I'm because you're an intelligent dying. human being. Yeah. <laughs> you say that and I finished Army of the Dead the first time I watched it. So. This movie is less depressing than Army of the Dead. It's just a worse movie. Yeah. I also don't like, and I feel like Chris Pratt plays the same character in most movies that he's in. I didn't watch Parks and Rec, so I don't know what he was like over on that show, except he was a little fatter. Mm-hmm. But he, he's always kind of this generic good guy with this macho, all shucks charm. But that's really just because of what he played that in Guardians mm-hmm. and Jurassic World. And then he's voice acted Owen from the Lego movies and he's getting ready to be Mario. And there was always chatter around him like, oh, he could be the next Indiana Jones. No, he could be the next 007. Like, shut up. Yeah, he's kind of Ryan Reynolds light as far as I'm concerned. Like, he's not quite as funny and he's maybe not quite as charming yeah i would agree with that i don't dislike chris pratt like i like uh parks and rec a ton i think that's a wonderful show was Um, he good on it yeah yeah he's very funny in it he looks sad to me like when i think about him in a lot of these movies there's something about him he just looks kind of like a dude who's sad maybe look we all carry uh, a little bit of sorrow with us and tears of a clown and all that um (laughs) i've got crippling depression (laughs) me too (laughs) i am pagliotti um when i read the description of this movie i was like score because you know me i am a sucker for a good time travel movie Mm -hmm. And this movie has time travel, sort of, kind of, but it doesn't engage in any of the standard movie tropes that you find in a time travel movie. Nothing happens in the past that impacts the future or vice versa. They're just sort of going from one place to the other. Like they're walking through an Ikea. Like, hmm, that's a good price on spatulas. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to it. They, They really hand wave the time travel part and just move on with it and i assume like they're making a sequel to this movie so you know what for that who when you say they who like a group of kids (laughs) i assume that you know it's a high school (laughs) production much like this one (laughs) but yeah there's i I think chris pratt signed back on like this was written by chat gpt yeah i mean look i i made this joke to you offline but truly the first script written entirely by screenwriting software. It 100% feels like it. It has everything you would expect in a big budget movie. It's just absent a soul. This movie yes. is dead inside. <laughs> you watch this movie on your laptop and hold it up to a mirror and you're going to see no reflection. <laughs> you have to invite it into your house. That's why it was on a streaming service. By clicking play, it's like, <laughs> now we're in your home. We're going to waste two hours of your time with nonsense, plot holes, poor character development. <laughs> it would not pass the Blade Runner Void Kampf test. <laughs> like, yes, this movie, like, you see a turtle on its back. Do you turn over? Uh, what? Uh, 
all of these streaming movies that we've reviewed and all of the ones we did not review, because it was a tough slog to pick stuff for our podcast. I mentioned this during the Bird Box review. If this came out in theaters, it would have been eviscerated. Yes, yes, yes. yes. It's so bad. All of these movies, like everything we've talked about, if they had been honest to goodness, get in your car, drive to the movie theater, buy tickets, get popcorn, get your soda, get your assigned seat, try not to jostle the guy next to you, and then this happened to you, all of these movies would have been disastrous at the box office. They would have burned the theater to the ground. Like, how dare you? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I almost set fire to my own home after watching Tomorrow War. I was just like, we must never allow anything to grow here again. Let burn and salt the earth i think that that's the downfall of direct to streaming movies is it's it's just gotta be okay and that's such a a downfall especially for movies like this that pretend to be big budget movies but aren't see i think streaming is good for movies like i'm gonna throw out a couple of movies that i'm sure you've never watched but there was one called the peanut butter falcon that was like mm, a child. That sounds delicious. It, it was good. It's two great tastes that taste great together. Uh, peanut butter and Falcons. And <laughs> it, it was like a Shia LaBeouf <laughs> movie with like Bruce Dern was in it for three seconds <sighs> and that kind of thing. Right. And it's good. Like it's a good drama. And I think that's what the streaming services are good for at this point is like dramas and dramedies and rom-coms and the kind of movies that just never make it into a theater anymore. And and there's a home for that. When you get to this stuff, the kind of stuff we've been talking about, like your Samaritans, your army of the deads, armies of the dead, perhaps uh, your, your birds boxes, Mm -hmm. um, your brights, those movies that feel like these should be big budget Hollywood movies. And they're just not, there's that missing piece where they're not a real boy as you mentioned yeah and when you're watching on streaming you're like oh well no wonder this is on streaming but then central bullock was in a movie not too terribly long ago where she was like a a woman who had been in prison and was trying to get her kids back and that kind of thing it's one of those movies that would never make it into theaters anymore and it was an okay movie it wasn't great but it was better than a lot of stuff that goes into theaters it's just not bombastic and that's the only thing that kind of makes it anymore is the big tentpole big budget movies strangely there's a a recent glut of religious movies like that god's not dead kind of stuff those seem to be creeping into theaters well that's because they hold church service in the theater from 9 30 to 10 30 then people just stick around to watch kurt cameron bitch and complain about the devil and people that put too much salt on their food or something (laughs) do you you think that's devilish if you put too much salt on your food you're you're trafficking with old scratch marjorie i would paprika to put on these deviled eggs <laughs> wouldn't you like to know betty <laughs> it's not paprika <laughs> what is it it's heroin <laughs> oh, man. now you're addicted marjorie no finally i can have some fun at a family reunion when somebody starts passing around the deviled eggs that's the one thing most family gatherings are missing is opiates <laughs> <laughs> your family oh, could visit okay. my family man pass around like tiktoks there's a lazy susan <laughs> with oxys and hydros anyway yeah they've got this thing they call it, it's called the equestrian club come and ride the horses <laughs> like Ooh. yeah all right i'm good i'll pass yeah so let's uh, get in this we start off by the way this is a real chad cooper this is for you kind of opening Yes and no, but more yes. You just get electricity crackling. Yeah. And Chris Pratt and a bunch of... Soon to be pancakes. It's the most unlucky group of sons of bitches you ever saw in a movie. Yeah. Just 
zap into the middle of the sky and start <laughs> falling downward towards this ruined city, which later we'll learn is Miami below them. Uh-huh. And then he happens to luck out and land in a pool. A rooftop swimming pool on a skyscraper, which I don't know if you saw this or not. The building is actually atop of a trampoline factory, and there's a marshmallow confectionery on the bottom next to the My Pillow outlet store. And there's a mattress firm showroom as well, and a radio station that only plays soft rock. <laughs> a lot of air supply. <laughs> well, he got lucky, but meanwhile, people are landing all around. Around him, just thump, 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 and yeah. just barreling towards the ground below. Dude, it has hints of like 9 11. Yes. Of just bodies falling from the sky and just bouncing off the side of buildings and awnings. Chris Pratt's trying to get out of this pool and like somebody's stepping on him and he finally fights his way kind of up and crawls out of the pool, stands up with his gun because he's a military dude or whatnot. And, and his wet t-shirt, yummy. <laughs> right. Show him that <laughs> six-pack, Chris Pratt. I'll have seconds and thirds, thank you very much. And he looks around at like this ruined city. He cocks his gun, goes to black. Then you get the the title card 28 years earlier. And Mm -hmm. you're like, well, hello movie. That's right. This movie is two hours and eight minutes long if you chop off those end credits. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not just bad, it's bloated. I appreciate the fact that they're like, hey, we're going to set up this mystery, right? It's the J.J. Abrams mystery box Uh of how did Chris Pratt end up in the middle of the air? On a skyscraper, in a rooftop pool, covered in water, holding a gun, standing against a shitty green screen with a purple and orange roof while a dinosaur or monster howls off in the distance. It's a real, I bet you're wondering how I ended up here kind of thing. <laughs> After heading back, how many years did we go? 28, 28 years. Yeah, 28 years later. Or we earlier. see some drone footage over a suburban neighborhood with what I think are a bunch of CGI Christmas lights added to these houses. Or hell, maybe all the houses are fake. A lot of this movie looks quite insincere visually. Mm-hmm. The reason I think that these lights are fake is because all the lights on every single house were white lights. Typically, you mix in a little bit of color there. And also, when you look at the rooftop decorations, you see the same Santa Claus with reindeer on multiple roofs. It's shit like this where it's like details matter, especially the small details. Because once you start to notice these loose threads, the movie quality just falls apart in front of you. It rings hollow up to and including all the effects work. It reminds me of this thing. There's a a video game company that does nothing but scenery it's a a tool that you can kind of plug into whatever video game engine uh graphics engine you're using to make your game and it just auto populates whatever landscape you have with whatever trees you select and it you know randomly generates the trees and the branches and leaves and all that stuff all right and that's how this feels yes where it's just like oh there is no craft to any of this it is just oh here's this cgi house and here are some cgi lights and we plug those two things together and then next house you know that there's nothing for lack of a better word there's nothing like artisanal about the creation of this movie and it's a real bummer because there are glimpses of a good movie in this movie which i know you've got your how do we make this movie less worse yeah waiting in the wings so i'll leave that there but even 
in this like opening scene, like Chris Pratt's driving home and he's on a job interview. Dude, look, for those of you out there looking for work, Chris Pratt's character gives a masterclass in how not to get a job. Like if you're enjoying a healthy state of unemployment, just do this. Step one. <laughs> During the job interview, be on your phone with earbuds and uh, just kind of pop out of your car and and walk across the street carrying two clanking bottles of Jack Daniels (laughs) and a cardboard box full of wine. And as he walks into his house. Out on his front lawn is this 14-foot-tall inflatable Krampus, which, Bo, yes, I did see if this was a real thing. It is, and I'm having one delivered to your house very soon. Nice. When you're on a job interview, you should be in a controlled environment assuming you want to get the job. Someplace quiet where your hands are not full of whiskey bottles and a case of Pinot Grigio. You can hear him in the background saying like, Hey, Ted, grab the pizza. Yeah, no, I've got all the booze. Hey, no, I'm on an interview. I'm trying a to job, get a job interview. It's not a radio interview. Like normally, hold on a sec. He asked me something. I got to pay attention. Then, Bo, he walks into his house where his wife and their precocious daughter, they are hosting a Christmas party that is on the same level as that birthday party that Robin Williams threw for his kid in Doubtfire just before Sally field rightfully bounced his ass out on the street Mm -hmm. the only thing missing from this party is barnyard animals to make it more of an unbelievable movie party and chris pratt is still on this job interview phone call (laughs) yeah and he's kind of giving a little bit of an exposition dump that should have been on the resume yeah, I'm currently a biology teacher. I was also a squad leader in Iraq. Hang on, I'm arriving home at my daughter's Christmas slash birthday party or something. It's anyway, yeah, 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 I'm going to eat all your tuna, Santa, baby. No, 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 it's not a sex thing. Also, when I was in the army, I worked in a research lab. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. I, I knew I was never going to be a career guy. Why? Because, well, because people told me that all the time. Yeah, I went to Cal State. Yeah, that's what I do. He goes into this party and he just starts shouting out to his daughter, whose name is Muri. He's like, where's Muri? And she comes over and she waves at him and he starts making hee-haw jackass noises <laughs> to his daughter going, hee-haw, hee-haw. And she does it back to him. I'm like, dude, you're on a job interview. Let me just say, first of all, <laughs> it's obnoxious, but it never comes back. It doesn't matter. It's just a, an excuse to get him to act a fool in this moment. And to show that he's playful with his daughter. Right. But when you're doing this kind of thing, th- this kind of goofy bit, it's sort of the face off, like, I'm going to touch your face kind of thing. If uh-huh. it's their thing later on in the movie, spoilers, when he runs into his daughter in the future, it would be nice if they had that moment at one point. I completely agree. Put that on a post-it note and stick it to the wall on how to make this movie less terrible so chris pratt still on his job interview he goes in the kitchen and he finds his wife as played by betty gilpin she was in that movie red state that i'm sure you saw Bo. that i'm sure i didn't Mm -hmm. she was also on that show glow Uh about female wrestlers i watched the first season uh mostly because mark Marin was in it and it was much better than i expected it to be i didn't watch any thing after that first season though she was also in a movie called the hunt oh uh, yeah which is a shockingly good movie. Yeah, things that I've seen her in, she's she's quite good, but I think it probably just sucks to be a working actress. And I'm sure when she got this movie, she was like, oh my God, this is going to be awesome. I'm starting with the guy from Jurassic World and Guardians of the Galaxy, and then this comes out, and it's like... Pfft. 
like, oh, crap, I got that on my shoe now. It's a real bummer because I think she's a great actress and she's totally wasted in this. That happens to a lot of people in this movie. So <laughs> yeah. Chris Pratt tells his wife, hey, honey, this is the call. My dream job. Remember the one that I told you about? I drew all those pictures with the crayons at me and my dream job. That's what I'm interviewing for. It's in a lab doing science. Yeah. All my hopes and dreams are pinned on this job. Hey, hand me a beer. I want to sound professional. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still here. And she's like, listen, honey, your daughter really wants to talk to you right now. Yeah. She wants to watch the game. I'm on this phone interview. You know, phone interviews where it's the last step in your dream job. And look, for those of you who feel like the phone interview is the last step in your dream job, you're delusional. The phone interview is the screener where you get rid of all the weirdos who are blasting Cypress Hills jump around as the sounds of whiskey bottles clanking. And people make jackass hee-haw noises in the background. Especially the first phone interview is like, okay, this is the completely frontline interview. Yeah. Unless you are called into a room with four administrators or you're on your third phone interview, don't get excited. No, 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 no. But he's like, honey, this is really it. I'm finally going to do lab work. I'm finally going to make something of myself instead of just being a stupid husband and father. And that's stupid. He looks down and there's an envelope. It's a Christmas card to their family. And again, he's still in this job interview. And he's like, what the fuck is this? A Christmas card from my father? Fuck him. This goes straight in the trash. I don't even care if there's a check in it. I'm not even going to open it. You know what? Honey, give me a beer. I'm going to go outside and finish (laughs) up this job interview and get my dream job. I think the garbage trucks are going to be rolling by really loudly and just... Just a couple of minutes. So he heads outside. He's slugging down a cold one during this job interview. 100% drinking a beer on the job interview. That is actually happening in this movie. <laughs> and then the guy on the other end of the line goes, uh, sir, um, mm, hold on. I, I got to get rid of this guy. Sir, we found someone else who isn't drinking and clearly throwing a Christmas party and making animal noises uh, while interviewing for their dream job. So we're it's going to be a hard pass. And then Chris Pratt, because he's a little drunk, he gets so sad and he almost starts crying. And he has in his hand a folder full of papers, which are probably just more crayon drawings of him at his dream job. And he starts beating his mailbox with this folder and Bo he hits it so hard that the mailbox magically turns into a trash can due to bad editing I mean he beats <laughs> up the mailbox the trash can and then just gives it a sorry everybody and then <laughs> heads back inside and when he gets back inside sure enough his daughter is waiting for him to watch a soccer game one of the more unrealistic things in this movie is that people have gathered around the television to watch uh, soccer you know depending where they live it's the world cup finals i won't call foul on that what i will call foul on is that he and his wife and daughter are throwing this banger of a party and the three of them just plop their happy asses on the couch and start watching tv yeah that's not how that works at all you throw a party like this you're basically spending eight to 12 hours from start of prep until cleanup where you pass out just being on edge and dealing with everything you don't just go sit on the couch like it's in the kitchen yeah there's a plunger upstairs it's really bad hosting to be sure Tell the cops we're renting the house we don't know who the owners are Mary, the daughter says hey daddy did you know that selma walksman discovered the tuberculosis vaccine with the worms and a bunch of dirt and poop and he's just like "Uh uh-huh that's great honey listen uh i just lost my dream job and your little anecdote about the tuberculosis vaccine is doing nothing for me okay but i will tell you this you can be anything that you want on one condition you have to 
do what nobody else is willing to do if you want to be the best. So how about we shut up and watch this soccer game? <laughs> yeah, these guys are the best. They do whatever you have to do to be the best in the world. And he's drinking as he's talking to her. You have to do what no one else is willing to do. And I was like, this sounds like someone who's planning to execute a lot of people with guns. Yeah, this is a real family annihilator moment here where, like, if I'm Betty Gilpin in this scene, I gotta be uh -huh. like, honey, I want you to pack your things. We're gonna go stay at my mom's for a couple of days. Honey, you call yeah. us when you've worked this out. Yeah, best case scenario, Chris Pratt drunkenly screams at everyone to get the hell out of his house with a gun in his hand. Worst case scenario, the coroner just wields his body out on a stretcher, ruining Christmas for everyone. He is 100% going to get the police called that night. Yeah. He, Chris Pratt says, I am meant to be something special. I'm supposed to do something special with my life. And his daughter says, don't worry, daddy. Everything's going to be okay. By the way, did I tell you that I love science? As Chris Pratt is doing his best Willie Loman impression on the TV, during the World Cup, there's a big play that's going down, you know, in this tight zero to zero game in the third quarter. Wait, that isn't period. Half. I think there's an I'm, inning involved. I don't know. I think there's a shuttlecock. Yeah, it, there's <laughs> definitely a shuttlecock. If there's out there, ought to be, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so during this big rush play to score a point <laughs> in soccer, there's a bunch of purple and white and blue lightning flashes that happen out on the pitch. That's what they call a soccer field, Bo. They call it a pitch. Right. You got to get outside your own country once in a while to learn something. After Effects explodes onto the field. There is an explosion on the field. And it this portal opens up and about 50 soldiers who look like terrorists roll out with guns. And the leader of this group is a younger black woman named Lieutenant Hart. She steps out of the lightning orb and she is somehow able to have her voice be heard not only on the loudspeakers at the soccer stadium, but also on televisions everywhere around planet Earth. And Lieutenant Hart says to the citizens, of planet earth in english mind you Bo. hello people of earth how are you we are from the future 30 years in the future we are fighting a war against aliens and in the future 11 months from now we're all going to be dead does someone have a whiteboard i could probably draw this out and explain it but okay look all right here we go here's me in the future well it's my present but it's your future and here's you in the past i'm gonna draw you earthlings now in 11 months Let's call that future A, and here's you in 11 months. We're going to call that your future B. In my future, everyone's going to be dead on Earth. I'm going to draw a couple of little X's on my stick figure here. Stick out its tongue so you can see it's dead. So anyway, we need all of the fathers and mothers and grandparents here on Earth to come to the future and save planet Earth. And then we get the movie's title, The Tomorrow War. It was super late title card. I also like the fact that she says, we are you. And somebody was like, whoa, you've just blown my mind, lady. Yeah. I also like that everyone in the crowd at the soccer stadium is just running for the exits. Of course. Like, again, <laughs> After Effects just exploded on the field and a bunch of soldiers came out saying like, hey, there's a bunch of aliens that we got to fight against and we need your help. You got to be like, crazy people have just invaded the soccer stadium. Also, you got to figure that aliens, I'm like, what, from where? From Mexico? Canada? Some European country? Outer space? What are you talking about? So essentially, our future people have come back to present day to enlist people now 
to go into the future to fight the Tomorrow War. And essentially, they're Ooh, just tossing bodies chat. into the meat grinder. Well, all right. So that's the thing we get to is there's this news report saying like, hey, all these facilities got set up to sort of draft people of Earth. Here's the thing, but I don't know if or how time travel works, but <laughs> I know how it works in movies. You go to the past, you monkey with things, and it changes the future. Uh -huh. Okay. Avengers Endgame took a different approach that deals more with the grandfather paradox and alternate universes, which essentially means that the things that you do in the past have no bearing on the future, assuming that you can travel to the past to be involved in these parallel universes. I do not subscribe to that when it comes to movies about time travel, okay? Mm -hmm. I like what happens in Back to the Future and Bill and Ted, where you monkey with things in the past and it changes things in the future. That is fun. This movie doesn't do any of that. And after this disruption on the soccer pitch, I feel so European saying it's it. It's very Ted Lasso, yeah. The movie cuts to 12 months later. Mm -hmm. After these soldiers have arrived on present day Earth, which if I'm missing something, didn't she just say in 11 months time, we're all going to be dead? That's and right. now it's 12 months later? Because further along in this movie, they explain that time here on Earth now and Earth in the future are moving at the same clip. So you've already blown up your whole premise with your 11 months versus 12 months. Yeah, I, I guess you can make the argument that maybe they were overestimating the 11 months thing because they don't know right if they are coming back from the future where their prediction their projection is that in 11 months everything's going to be fucked but why say that just say like like within the next three years we're all going to be dead and now it's 12 months later and you're like oh you just got two years left and there's half a million people on earth when we get to the future but it, again these are the little details as i watched it i was like wait why did you give a quantifiable measure of time that doesn't match up with this other basic arithmetic this is some of the hand waving that they do with all this time travel stuff one of the things they say is like oh yeah in the 12 months since these people have shown up we set up all these recruitment facilities by the way only about 20 percent of the people come back from the these yeah. week-long tours then later in the movie they say it's 30 percent right and then they also say like oh there's this big anti-war movement growing but you don't really see any of that like people talk about it but it's not something that you see a lot of proof of other than like b-roll of people rioting also apparently every nation on earth just gave up on their domestic and international grievances to send soldiers and guns to the future to fight an enemy known as the white spikes and their sinister leader jack white uh -huh. i'm thinking about my doorbell when you gonna ring it when you gonna ring it wow this plot is the hardest button to button <laughs> the biggest not the biggest one of the big problems with this movie is that while all of that is going on in the background nobody stops to say like hey uh excuse me yeah me in the back what did these aliens look like and where did they come from Oh, you're just not going to tell us? Okay. No. Well, someone does ask that a little bit later, and the response they give is awesome, but I don't want to give that away quite yet. So here's the plan. We're going to send present-day soldiers, old people, mm -hmm. to the future for seven days. If you survive, you get zipped back to the past or present, and I guess you're given money to spend until Jack White and his white spikes conquer Earth in 30 years or so. And they say that only 50%, again, another percentage, only 50% of people 
on earth are qualified to go. Why only 50%? They don't really, well, they kind of sort of explain it because they say they can only send middle-aged to elderly people to fight in this war because sending young people would not make them available to get killed in the future. They kind of dance around this paradox effect to where people going to the future have to be people that are already dead. Right. And they don't want to send young people because they might bump into each other and then faint. Like Marty McFly's mom in Back to the Future 2. Sam Richardson and Chris Pratt, and, and you know, we might as well say this now because it, it comes up in just a, a couple of minutes, but they work out like, oh, if you can only send people who are going to die into the future so that you don't meet yourself in the future, they can only send people back who haven't been born yet at that time. They explain this in a quick conversation, but none of it really matters no, because no, no. the movie doesn't touch on any of the impact of time travel in any meaningful way. It's a real shrug and because science fiction. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So back at the Pratt household, Muri, she's having a panic attack because she doesn't want her dad to get drafted and killed by aliens. And then to calm this little girl down, Chris Pratt peppers Muri with questions about how the body turns oxygen into CO2. And I was like, this kid is 100% homeschooled. Has some really interesting ideas about people riding dinosaurs <laughs> and stuff. I also like the fact that this scene includes a couple of things like not only him questioning her, but doing the like, hey, I want you to squeeze me as hard as you can. A bunch of stuff that would have paid off nicely later yeah. in the movie that is yep. later ignored completely. I completely agree. We cut to a high school where Chris Pratt is teaching high school science and he's lecturing about chlorophyll or borophyll and none of these kids care because they live in a world with no future. And Chris Pratt says, Much like so today. if you don't want to talk about chlorophyll, what do you guys want to talk about? And there's one kid raising his hand and Chris Pratt is like dancing all around like nobody, nobody else, nobody else wants to talk about anything. Anyone but him, anyone but him, anyone, anything you want to talk about. You know, you want to know where babies come from? Huh? I'll show you a real movie with lots of hugging and kissing. You want to watch that, huh? You want to know how to make meth? We'll just watch Breaking Bad. I'll tell you how they got it wrong. <laughs> Finally, he calls on Martin, who is this kid who's obsessed with volcanoes, and he uh, refers to it. It's nature's fury, guy. The one thing I know everything about is volcanoes. If anybody in this movie ever needs to know something about volcanoes, Martin is your go-to guy for all things volcano-ish. Mm -hmm. If a plot point like that comes up, point that plot point at yours truly. <laughs> Martin, volcano expert extraordinaire. Right, you might as well just say like, I'll see everybody in the third act. <laughs> see you later. Chris Pratt keeps asking like, guys, I don't get it. What's going on? Why is everybody so glum chumps? I like this androgynous kid who uses all the pronouns on any given day, on any given hour, just to keep you on your toes. And this kid says, what's the point of any of this school, college, anything? We're all going to be dead in 30 years and Jack White and his white spikes destroy all of us with their heavy percussion laden alien attacks. And then the whole class is like, yeah, the future sucks. And then Chris Pratt, their high school science teacher, he sets them straight, Bo. He says, hey, we can't stop inventing. The world needs inventors. And then his phone buzzes and he shows it to the camera. Yes. <laughs> and the audience, and then the screen's like, you've been drafted, kid. And so we cut to this intake facility. He goes inside past some protesters who are marching around outside the building. And he's getting checked out. He takes off his shirt to show how ripped wow. he is. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And then they 
<laughs> shove him in a chair and start asking him questions about his daughter and his family. And they're like, oh, by the way, put your arm in this machine. He's like, I don't understand. I mean, I'll do it, but I don't understand what's going on here. Everybody just slow down. And we also see his death certificate, which like you pointed out, is kind of the time travel MacGuffin of this whole movie. And they say, hey, you're going to die in 2030. He's like, what? What? In seven years, I'm going to be dead? While he's grilling them about what's going on, they're like, hey, you want to bite down on this like Rocky Balboa brand mouth guard? And mm-hmm. he's like, I don't want that thing. I don't need it. What's going on? What do you mean I'm going to die in seven years? And they're like, no, really? You want to bite down this thing? He's like, hey, how about you take that mouth guard, Rocky Balboa brand or not, and shove it straight up your ass, pal? And yeah. so they're like, whatever, man. And they just hit the button and it drills this device onto his arm. Yeah. They're like, this is the thing that says that we are going to go into uh, your tour of duty. And if you try to skate on us, then we get the first spouse or legal dependent of age to go for you. So Mm -hmm. theoretically, if he was just like, smell you later, guys, then Betty Gilpin would have to go in his place. Yeah, he didn't want to do that. No, no, she's too good an actress. You know, the thought of knowing when you're going to die, like the year is too specific. But if you had to know, Bo, the day of the week, the month of the year, or the hour of the day you're going to die, you have to know one of those. Which one would you pick? Give you like 8 p.m. in the 8 8 to 9 hour, or um, it's going to be a Tuesday, or it's going to be the month of July. I'm going to give you one of those three ranges. I wouldn't want to know when. I would probably say, just give me the day of the week, because who cares? (laughs) Probably be Monday, am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Probably eating lasagna. That would be. I think one of the most horrifying things you could know is when you're going to die. Like it would color everything you ever did and not in a good way. There are those people who are like diagnosed with terminal illnesses and like have this moment where, well, like I'm going to live life to the fullest for the next six months or whatever. But I still don't want to know. Like I just want to live my life until that coronary hits me and I'm just like, see you later, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Like, had had a great ride. What about you? What's your answer here? Oh, on that one, hour of the day. Especially if it was like 3 to 4 a.m. Like, every day I wake up like, whoo, made it through another one. (laughs) Not only that, but what a great, like, if it's 3 to 4 a.m., the odds are like, oh, I'm going in my sleep. That's going to be great. But you never know. The one night I'm on the road at 3.15 in the morning and get, you know, pancaked. Yeah. Like Samaritan. Space junk just falls out of the sky and crushes you. You step outside to piss into your yard. Like, this is always a good time. Crunch. Here's a moment I like. Like, I wish there were more of this kind of thing in the movie because I thought this was vaguely clever. After Chris Pratt gets his armband that's going to shoot him back and forth through time and whatnot, the technician one of the female soldiers says hey i read in your file that you were a squad leader in iraq yeah that's right and she goes well i just (laughs) want to say thank you for your service again go get him tiger right but i kind of like that of like all right yeah i mean you did your tour and now you're going back and there was something about like in a better movie you could make this character a little more grizzled right maybe not garth brooks grizzled from saturday night live but grizzled what if you had stallone in it that would have been pretty good. Like Demolition Man era Stallone. I'll take Samaritan level Stallone. Do we get to win this time? <laughs> no, 
you're actually going this time. One of my favorite Bobcat Goldthwait jokes is Stallone saying, do we get to win this time in First Blood Part 2? And Goldthwait said, no, asshole, you're actually going to go this time in relation to Stallone skipping the draft. But what are you going to do? Anyway, so we cut to Betty Gilpin, who is hosting group therapy for a bunch of people who came back from their tour of duty. And she's like, so does anyone want to talk about their experience? And everybody's like, no, no, No! that was horrifying. No, the clicking. No, well, you hear it. You realize it's never going to stop. No, I don't have arms or legs. No, but here's where this thing falls apart, man, where the whole like, hey, we're not we're keeping a lid on what you're going to see when you're there. People have come back. There would be entire Reddit threads. There would be like slash R white stripes. Yeah. Where they it was nothing but camera phone pictures and stories about what they saw. Like one moment of scrutiny and this script really starts to fall apart. Yes, it, it does. Just one. Anyway, but Chris Pratt shows up in the back of this group therapy meeting and Betty Kilpin kind of gives him the wave like, hey, maybe we'll have some sex later or something. And then he shows off the armband that he just got drilled into his arm and... And later on, you know, apparently she just bails on all these people who need her. And this is where she says the thing about only 30% make it back. And she says, and the ones who do have so much PTSD that they can barely talk. So how about we just, you know, grab the kid, grab our shit, and let's get out of here. You've got to be kidding me. I'm definitely not going to do that. I'm an Iraq veteran. And she's like, you know what? You know someone who knows how to hide from the government. You have to go see him. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 no. No. Cut to him entering this airplane hangar where J.K. Simmons appears with a gun and a luxurious salt and pepper collar length beard. Man, at what point did J.K. Simmons decide to become the Silver Fox to end all Silver Foxes? I don't, I don't know. know, man. He looks great. For Remember him as the Commandant in The Ref? Mm-hmm. He was just like every dorky goofball you ever saw working as an assistant principal in a movie or something. And then he just got all jacked up and he looks like a walking, talking G.I. Joe doll. Everything from Whiplash Ford. This yeah. guy looks like some kind of late stage adonis and he's good in this he's very it's one of those things when you watch someone who is a really good actor and you give them dog food to perform they can still turn that into something edible yeah much like the mother from prince of tides um (laughs) yeah but jk simmons uh, at first he he's like what what are you doing here he actually says to him i didn't recognize you with that metrosexual scuffle you got on your face not like my manly beard that requires oils and trimming treatment he does give a like grow a beard or don't it's pretty good jk Simmons sees the thing on his arm and he's like all right give me a second let me take a look at it chris pratt notices his gun and he says i see you have a a new gun desert eagle 50 cal and jk simmons says yeah it does the trick and then chris pratt says under his breath yeah does the trick of convincing the world you have a small dick and i was like look jk simmons is chris pratt's dad Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but making small dick jokes about your estranged father feels odd. It's always a shock when you see your father naked. You know, like, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I did like one of those, like my dad was cutting across the hall from shower to bedroom and I just happened to see the full Monty. And I was like, oh no, I never want to see that again. 
I'll do you one better, Bo. Uh-huh. Not only did I see my father naked. You remember the house I grew up in? Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. I was in the kitchen with- Name redacted. Uh-huh. And my dad was in the attached living room watching TV, uh-huh. and we're getting a snack, and my father proceeds- to change all of his clothes while watching TV <laughs> while two teenage boys are in the kitchen. Oh, my God. First off, can you not 100% see my dad doing something this oblivious? Yeah. I mean, this is the man when we went to see Titanic. Spent a good portion of the of the movie saying, well, that's old Jack. <laughs> in reference to Victor Garber, <laughs> who apparently was Jack on a soap opera. <laughs> He would have been the worst witness at any trial ever. If the trial were in a soap opera, he would be brilliant. Permission to beat the witness about the head. Permission granted. I'll hold him. Permission to give this witness a nurple and treat him as hostile. <laughs> Permission granted. <laughs> Jury, anybody so... went in on this? <laughs> anyway, but so, yeah, J.K. Simmons identifies this thing. He's like, well, this is a C model. Hang on. Let me get a couple of special tools. And Chris yeah. Pratt is like, yeah, I came to you because you're an engineer and you were the only person I knew who had a healthy disdain for the government and no discernible income. So I knew you had to be doing something like this. And J.K. Simmons is like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hang yeah. on a second. I'm just going to pour myself a scotch here while I'm working on this. Yeah, I really wish you wouldn't drink while you were doing this. Oh. It seems like you should have 100% of your attention. And J.K. Simmons says, well, I wish Stevie Nicks would show up in her birthday suit with a jar of pickles and a bottle of baby oil. And I was like, look, man, I'm not going to judge anybody's kink. But that's a very specific kink, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, how does that play out? Is he eating the pickles? Are the pickles being inserted or both? I think he is eating the pickles off of Stevie Nicks. Is the baby oil used in combination with the pickles or is it used on him or her? Like, I have a lot of questions about naked Stevie Nicks, bottle of pickles and baby oil. Are they like baby gherkins? Are they full-size dill? Are they sliced? Are they spears? I kind of think it's bread and butter, man. Something a little sweet. I mm. And I think it's used in sequence, not like at the same time. First the pickles, <laughs> then the baby oil. As if J.K. Simmons knows how stupid a line this is, Chris Pratt says, what is that supposed to mean? And J.K. Simmons actually says, don't worry about it. <laughs> 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 Which it feels like he should end every scene with that line. So J.K. Simmons is, is having his scotch. He chunks it yeah. on Chris Pratt's shirt and accuses him of wearing a wire. Right. Chris Pratt's like, do you think I would betray you like this? And he's like, look, you're the one who came in here talking about how I was a dissident from the government. Illegally removing time travel armbands and I had no discernible means of income. J.K. Simmons not entirely wrong about this. And, and I think he's 100% right. And in this scene, J.K. Simmons delivers the only good bit of acting in this entire movie where he explains to Chris Pratt, how when he returned from the Vietnam War, that his leaving Chris Pratt and Chris Pratt's mom was an act of sacrifice because he acknowledged his own anger and rage. And he's like, if I would have stayed, it would have been much worse. Yeah. The way he puts it is, I was dangerous. Yeah. And at this point, I was like, is this movie turning around? Is it, you know, it seems like it's getting pretty good. Right. But then J.K. Simmons exits the movie for an hour. He is easily the best part of this movie. Um, Yes. That's like if I took a big shit on a plate and then put an Andy's mint on top of it that was still wrapped. You're like, well, this is the best part. Chris Pratt says, I want you to stop sending Christmas cards to the house. You're never going to know your granddaughter, Muri. You're never going to get a second chance. I mean, at least until the third act. But wait till then. 
Chris Pratt returns home and he tells his wife, I've got to go. I've got to go fight in the Tomorrow War. I'll be back in seven days. They don't really explain how time travel works in this movie, but I'll be back in seven days as opposed to immediately right now. It's like two rafts. Just stick around. The movie will explain itself later. And she tells him, well, if you're about to take off for a week, you're going to go tell your daughter. She's out in the back digging a hole in the yard like a weirdo. Fine. Thump, thump, thump. So he goes out in the backyard and starts chatting up with his daughter. He's like, you know how people are going off to fight the Tomorrow War? Uh Uh-huh. Do you want to know how photosynthesis works? No, just listen to me. And give me the shovel. We're going to share a moment that won't come up later. And he sticks it in the ground and he cuts some kind of cable that's buried like six inches beneath the topsoil. And Chris Pratt says, ah, hey, Muri, I'll give you 10 bucks if you tell your mom that you cut that cable and it wasn't me. And she's like, give me 20. He's like, it's a deal. A character bribing a child to lie isn't a charming characteristic we should get behind. It's the sign of a manipulative person that you should not trust. She should have cut the wire. He should have said, don't worry, I'll tell your mom I did. Like, I'll take the heat. Then you're like, oh, you're a good guy. You're not bribing you 20 bucks because suddenly you don't have internet now. Yeah. Dummy. Pick six movies, making movies less worse from, like... 20 minutes in yeah it's because the ai is like what is this human emotion of which you speak and we get at this montage business of chris pratt like leaving the family we see him going to this facility there's this big speech by the head of the dod about how like these are heroes and whatnot is that the bureaucrat yeah because his name is dodd mm-hmm. i didn't get that he was the head of the dod because that's how you spell his name i know it's clever Chad. oh that's what the, that's how the robot put it together the ai uh, uh chat gpt doing Jesus good Christ. work look Bo, i really liked this montage because i didn't have to take any notes well i did so here's what happens <laughs> they're shown their guns they get told here go for the throats and abdomens of what eh, you'll find out when you get there uh-huh. they have to survive seven days yep And then at the tail end of this montage, we end with them all kind of standing in line listening to the speech from Dodd. And this is where we meet Charlie, who's our comic relief of the movie, played by Sam Richardson. Yes. You know what? They just told him, just riff. Totally. Like in the screenplay, it says Charlie, and then in parentheses, says funny things that are humorous to humans. And he does this whole riff about how arbitrary it is, what they can and can't wear. He's like, that guy over there, he's wearing a chef's hat. That can't be right. And look at this. I'm wearing this camo jacket, but it's clearly form over function. And meanwhile, there's another dude behind him named Dorian, who is, Uh we will find out, this guy who's been through multiple tours of the Tomorrow War and is this real badass. Maryland Rushkub. Is that how you say her name? Yeah, Nora. Yeah. She was Chloe on the show 24. I never watched that. I know her as Gail the Snail from an episode (laughs) of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Uh where she gave Danny DeVito hand stuff under the counter. (laughs) Snail. (laughs) They're being split up into different groups. Like, there's D-Squad and R-Squad. R-Squad is like the research squad. And so Charlie, who works for like an R&D company that's doing environmental science and got a doctorate in earth and atmospheric science from georgia tech boy you did take notes i checked out yeah so that's why charlie and chris pratt are kind of in this r company you know why i didn't take notes Bo? because i know what's getting ready to happen none of these characters matter (laughs) well that's true i mean they give us all of this background you're like oh this is going to be important and and seriously within eight minutes we pretty much never see any of these characters again well charlie is with us for most of the movie as is dorian nora does not last long no but charlie doesn't stick around too long he's only in 
it in Act One, and a, and he comes back a little bit later in Act Three. Yeah, but not much. He's kind of part of our final team, even though he doesn't really earn it. Like, but, no. but no, none of it, none of that is earned. But we'll get to all that on the back end. But so this is also where like Charlie and Chris Pratt work out the whole you have to be dead in the future and the trainers uh, haven't been born yet thing. And this is also where we get the explanation of the raft thing. The time is a river, and the rafts they jump between keep moving at the same time. Also, by the way, there's this fortified sea base that is responsible for all the energy to do this time travel thing. One of the people during this sharing of exposition and information shouts out why don't we just jump back to an earlier time in the war and lieutenant hart is the woman remember from the soccer pitch <laughs> she's fielding these questions and she just says yeah it doesn't work that way next question and someone's like oh, i've got a question uh yes you in the back how does it work not that way Next question. And then one soldier chimes in. Look, we have a tube that goes from the future to now. And that tube can't be changed. And yeah, that's pretty much... It's a tube. And uh, that's it. It would be similar if Miss Piggy were giving this briefing. And when somebody was like, uh, yeah, so how does time travel work again? She just went, um, goodbye. And then just yeah. took off. Yeah. Someone's like, uh, at the start of your movie, you said that humanity will be gone in 11 months. And it's been like 13 months. So when we get there, is everybody dead? And then Sergeant Exposition chimes in. He's like, look, look, look. You got a lot of questions, all right? And uh, they're going to be answered never. I, I, we got the jump link technology that we're using to get back and forth. It's held together, and I quote, Mo, with chewing gum and chicken wire. It's real low tech, highly sophisticated technical machinery complication type thing it runs on double a batteries and a solar panel from a texas instrument calculator it's complicated but it's a piece of shit and so they're also kind of briefing on what the white stripes are up to and it's not mm -hmm. going on tour chad it's no. they hibernate once every six days which they refer to as the sabbath yeah it's like sunday school for the aliens but again does not matter at all in this movie a piece of information that doesn't once ever come into play here someone asks, do you have video or images of the white spikes? And Lieutenant Hart says, eh, it was decided that if you saw what you were up or against, uh, you'd probably murder all of us and not go fight in the future. We said 20, 30% come back. We made that shit up. It's gonna be like two or three of you that get back. So good luck, everybody. So stupid. Because again, the the word would be out. You know, this like people have been doing this for months now. Somebody was going to come back and be like, hey, it turns out I'm a really good artist. Let me draw you a picture of what it was that we were fighting there. It's just so stupid. Anyway, so Charlie and Chris Pratt are kind of bonding. And Charlie is telling Chris Pratt like, hey, my wife died in the first wave. It was a real bad business. And then all of a sudden, Chad, an alarm sounds and they got to go. What is that? What does that sound? They go to this big staging area all lined up where electricity starts to zip zap around the perimeter of this thing. And then yeah. they just get sucked up into the air row by row. They tell them that in the future, the research lab is under attack. You need to go and get slaughtered immediately. And Chris Pratt is trying to show Charlie like, hey, here's how you load your gun. Oh boy, you're going to die. Uh, real quick before you, well, the back row got sucked up. For those of you listening, pay attention, be prepared. <clears throat> when you land in the future, you're going to be about five to 10,000 feet above the ground, but you're going to be fine. Five to 10,000 feet above the ground. You're just tuck and roll, tuck and roll, and you're going to be okay. And Chris Pratt then hears something from like one of the 
control rooms or something where a guy is yelling about the output coordinates being wrong as he gets hey something went wrong here these guys are all gonna die (laughs) and then we cut to the beginning of the movie where we're like zip zapping into middle of the air and chris pratt and all the people falling out of the sky and him landing in the pool and stuff only we get a little bit more here because charlie also lands in the pool and chris pratt has to pull him out and Then the survivors look out over the ruins of Miami as they're kind of helping people out of the pool and tending to wounded and stuff. Which, by the way, if you land on the cement, there ain't no wounded. You were just done. No, you're dead or soon to be dead. And our first glimpse of the white stripes happens here mm-hmm. where Gail the Snail is looking through binoculars and you see a reflection in the binoculars as some soldiers are kind of eaten by the white stripes down below. Yeah. <laughs> amongst the dead leaves and the dirty ground, <laughs> if you will. Then we see spoilers adult muri at command hq yeah she's like shouting and barking what the hell's going on check the chewing gum what about the chicken wire damn it i need answers and she gets on the horn with chris pratt and is like i need your name soldier and he's like hey my name's forrester that's my name in this movie and i've got a daughter named muri but i think she's probably dead in this timeline i don't know i'm just fighting to get back home to her sir soldier what's your name chris pratt my father's name was chris pratt never mind and so she says hey this research uh, facility nearby is under attack and it's critical that they get that team out of there so your new mission is to push all of the people that did land in the pool all for bait these white spikes they've taken over the city you and your team of untrained civilians you need to take these highly powered weapons and clear the city streets of miami of aliens that you've never seen before or been briefed on and then you need to go in and get my team of research assistants out of the research facility before we drop bombs on the city street like the end of army of the dead good luck we're really counting on you dad dad daddy oh so he does like chris brad kind of you know it's like all right everybody on me butchers bakers candlestick makers follow me and the one guy that knows what's going on here is this guy dorian the kind of hard ass that came through with him because he's on his third tour yeah and he's got uh like a white stripes claw around his neck that's how you know he's a a real tough guy adult miri does tell them i need you to go to the lab and i need you to get all of the biological materials get a bunch of blue tubes full of science material for my research (laughs) and hurry because we're about to bomb the city as they're heading that way and like chris pratt is trying to keep everybody in line like okay you two are gonna run point and here's how we're gonna move in formation what we're gonna what what formation what is that you need four of us how does this gun work oh my god i just killed the fat guy oh wait we got a backup he's got a beard there was regular fat guy and bearded fat guy oh oh dorian is the one who tells him like hey this is never gonna work like don't worry about trying to keep them alive just try to keep yourself alive uh because these people are just lunch meat for the, the white stripes which turns out to be totally true they head down this staircase all quiet like and then the movie turns off all of the heavy intense music that they were using previously to let us know it was a real heavy intense scene and it has this overly dramatic music from an orchestral score that came out of a synthesizer or computer or whatever and uh, everybody's on their tippy toes and they're heading down the stairs and this scene goes on forever mm-hmm. and then finally the white strikes show up and it's this boom 
Boom, 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 boom. Boom, I'm gonna fight them all. Doom, 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 doom. Seven Nation Army couldn't hold me back. And then they're just like, oh my god, I just killed the little Asian lady. I don't know how to use these guns. Doom, 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 doom. Everybody's gonna die. Doom, 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 doom. I do like the design of the White Stripes. Really? I thought, how would you describe them? It's kind of like a skeletal giant dog with tentacles coming out of both shoulder blades. And they they shoot these little spikes out of the tentacles. I said they look like Doc Ock from Spider-Man 2 had a baby with some four-legged albino dog puppet from the Dark Crystal. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And I I think the design is kind of interesting. They look a little unusual they got long faces and spiky teeth they stand like about 10 feet tall they're pretty big Mm -hmm. they have these legs like a cheetah in the back and their front legs look like a prawn it's a real odd combination but yeah if this was a video game i'd be down for it this looks like a good mid-tier boss level Mm -hmm. so in this big grand action scene that we're happening here like they're collecting hard drives the white stripes are following them they finally get chased out onto the streets after shooting a bunch of these dog things and then we get a radio from adult Murray who's like hey there dad danger is on the way because there's a, an airstrike coming that's gonna blow the shit out of this whole street did you ever see the classic movie army of the dead it's like that by the way just don't be anywhere where you see smoke cut to yeah. them running through a bunch of smoke yeah so anyway they're trying to get away from as this airstrike is coming the white stripes are following them boom there are some humvees on the way to pick them up but as soon as the humvees show up the white stripes show up to rock them real good and destroy those so they got to run the other way and uh finally they end up in like this tunnel like a, a car tunnel after some fools fall off and gail the snail gets hit among others she does a big heroic move where she's like just go on without me I'll be doing hand stuff with Frank. <laughs> You're just mashing it around down there. She goes down heroically while shooting a bunch of the white stripes and boom. creating boom, a boom, distraction boom, boom, while the airstrike boom, hits and blows the hell out of everything. And then the whole tunnel fills up with flame. Cut to Chris Pratt waking up in an army hospital like, oh, what happened? Oh, don't you worry. You're here safe in 1955. 1955? It's okay, Calvin. According to his arm thing, he's still got about six days to go. Ah, shit. And he looks over and sees that Charlie has survived also. And so they step out of the tent into this big army base, which Uh is the Ford operating base in the Dominican Republic. Is it? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't see it. I did hear Chris Pratt say, well, clearly we're not in Miami. I'm like, how do you know that? You're surrounded by palm trees. You may still be in Miami. You don't know. I guess it's just because it's not dystopian hellscape. (laughs) Right. Did you look over there? And so Chris Pratt and Charlie find Dorian, who's all pissed off because some of his buddies got killed. Mm -hmm. He also reveals his reason for doing this rotation after rotation where he says hey my death certificate showed that in about six months from now i'm gonna die for cancer but that's what they always tell you they give you the worst case scenario then if you survive you know you got a new lease on life right they're like are you sure that you got that right and he's like yeah he said it was a brain cloud you think that's what they tell him at the recruitment brain office cloud let's see if you're healthy enough to go fight the tomorrow war lick this piece of paper uh 
shit, you got cancer. Right. Lloyd Bridges showed up at, at his house and was like, you can either sit in this apartment all day or you can go fight the Tomorrow War, become a hero, live like a king, die like a man. Wine, women, and song in the most terrifying hellscape you've ever seen. You got any whiskey? I think it is a <laughs> sign of great sophistication that you have not demanded to know my name. Or why I'm here. <laughs> Just goes to show I really need to watch Joe versus the Volcano again, apparently. Two soldiers walk over and they're like, sir, yes, sir, Chris Pratt, your dog, dog, Dr. Commander uh, needs to see you now. So Chris Pratt walks over and he says, Commander, I'm, I'm Chris Pratt. You have to see me. I hear that your name is Colonel Dr. Chris Pratt's daughter. That's crazy. My name's Chris Pratt. Isn't that a coincidence? Hey, you kind of look like my wife or maybe my daughter if she was all grown up. But that's not possible. She's back in the year 2023, not here in the future. <laughs> Pratt, we have the same last name. Where are your people from? To this film's minor credit. It gets this out of the way pretty quick. As soon as he gets the last names, he starts to put together, oh my God, you're my adult daughter. I'm going to politely disagree. He says, where are your people from? And she says, uh, they're from the same place you're from. Oh, really? Huh, that's weird. They were from the same place with the same last name and you look like my wife or maybe a grown up version of my aww? Like anyone who's ever seen a movie ever, when you see her in the future, you're like, oh, that's his daughter. But at least we don't play it like it's a big secret that we're going to get revealed at the end of the second act or something. That's true. Because at this point, it basically becomes the Chris Pratt and Murray show until act three occurs. And then we shift our focus again. Yeah. I mean, so long, Charlie and Dorian, seemingly important characters that we will not see again until the end of the movie. So Chris Pratt and Murray, they do a little walk and talk. And Murray says, you know, I have a lot of titles. I'm a colonel. Oh, I'm the one who created the time travel wormhole that you came through. I've got a PhD in biotechnology with an emphasis on genomics and immunology from MIT. Also, we're living on borrowed time. None of this is sentimental. I didn't bring you here to reunite with you. I brought you here because... I'll tell you when you need to know. He says, like, you know, I'm really proud of you, Yuri. And she says... Look, this isn't about us spending time together, and I am not a sentimental person, at least not at the moment, even though everything she does in this movie is incredibly sentimental. Because a robot wrote this. Look at these humans. Look at her. Feeling sentimental. Let's also make her hungry and sleepy, and also make her feel melancholy. Now put her on a roller coaster. What happens to the humans now? Look how their blood pressure goes up. Then Muri says, hey, do you want to get a look at the next action scene? And Chris Pratt's like, yeah, sure. That's why I'm here after all. She shows him this like imaging of a female white stripe. Mm -hmm. And she says, hey, we've got this super toxin that'll kill all the males, but it doesn't do anything to the females. Like there's something about their biology where they kind of kick the toxin or they detoxify faster or something. So we're launching this mission to go capture this female so we can test toxins on her. So the hope is we're going to find something that's going to kill all of them. That sounds great. Let's get in a helicopter. Let's go see the female dinosaur. Is that what it is? A dinosaur? Oh, it's an alien? Okay. Look, I've done a lot of work with velociraptors. I think I could be a lot of help here. I worked with a Groot, too. They, they get in a helicopter where they see a bunch of white stripes chasing down this horse. Mm -hmm. And adult Muri says, yeah, the craziest thing is they avoided satellite detection. We think that they landed in 2048 and they just swept across the globe. We never saw them land. The thing is, they don't have a government. There's no bureaucracy. They just eat. We're food for them. Mm, that sounds pretty good, Miri. I've got a question for you. When I got this time travel ban, 
of my arm? They said I die in seven years? Did that really happen? Did I die in seven years? Or did I die here? In the future. Or did I come back and then die in seven years? You would think this would make sense in a time travel movie, but can you shed any light on this? And she says, the less that we say to each other, the better. But don't worry, I'm going to tell you in about five minutes. How intriguing, Bo. So they show up at this rock quarry where they got this female white stripe spike monster captured and it's kind of sedated. And Muri, who has a PhD and she's also a soldier of fortune and the commander of planet Earth, she repels down into this hole that's got some human bones on the ground where the white spike female lives. Looks like something out of Land of the Lost or Conan the Barbarian. The female white spike lunges from her hole and she just starts slaughtering soldiers and Muri decides to go down and take care of shit herself. She's a real micromanager and she just zips down the hole and just starts flip-flopping around with a bunch of CGI acrobatic trickery and then Chris Pratt he's up in the helicopter and then he sees a swarm of male white spikes coming to save the female so he heads down into the hole with his gun and then Chris Pratt he shows up and with some more CGI handiwork he saves his daughter from getting eaten and that's that's what happens they get this thing in a cage it gets lifted out of the hole by a helicopter but then they've got to run from all these males so they steal a jeep and somebody's Uh like well you can just get a jeep and he says steal a jeep and then adult muri gets on the back of the jeep with a, it's got a, like one of those big machine guns and stuff so she's killing a bunch of white stripes and they're like there's no home for you here adult muri <laughs> and then they get away they go to a beach and it, like adult muri sends up a flare to for him to come pick a, uh, them up and then she says Hey, you know you could have screwed up that whole mission by putting yourself in danger. Look, young Missy, I'm still your dad. I didn't want you to get killed. And then she says, you know how I said I wasn't going to tell you about when you died? Well, here's what happened. And she says, he walked out on him. And he's like, absolutely not. That never would have happened. She says, yeah, that's what we thought too. But, you know, when I was 12, you and mom separated. And when I was 14, you got a divorce. You just seemed unhappy your whole life. And then you died in a car accident. <laughs> and then I like I went to the hospital and I saw you die like they pulled the plug on you and I was there in the ICU when it happened and she's like yeah. crying and stuff and and this all led me to get a PhD and enlist in the military and end up inventing time travel wormholes and a toxin that kills male alien invaders and single-handedly capturing the female a minute ago in our movie I hate you for that dad so what we have to do is make sure that you break up with mom honestly if you look in the bag that I gave you there's a quart of jack daniels and i need you to drink that and you're going to do that every day until you go back i'm also going to introduce you to a lot of my single friends i've just got to make sure that no matter what happens you are the worst husband possible it's the opposite of back to the future i have to do everything i can to keep my mother and father from staying together (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) This helicopter flies our remaining characters to this secret location out on this, looks like an oil platform in the middle of the ocean, and that's where the wormhole opening is or something. Yeah, Deep Swell 9 is the name of it. All right. Which, why would they drop them off in Miami? It seems like that that's where you would drop them off when they suck them from point A to point B, but again... I'm asking too many questions. Here we see that the female white strike is heavily sedated and Miri comes in and takes those blue vials that were full of science liquid from earlier that Chris Pratt snatched from the research lab back in Miami. And she starts to do some science on the blue liquid bow. Mm-hmm. And Chris Pratt and Miri, they start doing science experiments together. And the movie gives us split screens showing 
speakers and Bunsen burners and double helix animations. She's poetry in motion. She blinded me with science. It's real stupid. It looks like it's making fun of shit like this, but it's not. Yeah. So they run these experiments through the Science Tabulator 3000 in hopes of getting a 100% match rate, which will create a toxin to kill the female but the first round bow they only get 27 percent. but chris pratt says this is gonna work muri you're gonna save the world baby girl and then we just get a montage of experiments where each time it gets a little bit higher bow mm-hmm. in hopes of hitting a hundred percent there's a point where chris pratt is like well i guess i'm heading home tomorrow it's one of them alien sabbaths after all which by the way it's not because they totally show up but anyway <laughs> adult muri is like well this finding a neurotoxin that works as a one-person job so how about you get out of here and then chris pratt leaves the lab outside is a random dude who we don't know who's just like i was just coming down to check on her i mean that girl she never quits Uh uh-huh and he's like oh are you two or oh well i guess we'll never know the movie he's never going to address it goodbye the guy says one way or another this war is almost over and i know how i want it to end sexy chris Pratt goes back into the lab and Miri's all discouraged because she can't hit a 100% match rate on these toxins. And Chris Pratt says, Miri, you brought me here for a reason. How can I help you? And Miri says, when I eventually get this to 100%, I need you to take the toxin back. We can't make enough of it here, but you can mass produce it in your time and stop this war from ever happening. Wait a minute. You're asking me to save the world, but leave you here to die? There's got to be another way, baby girl. I can't think of one. And I'm the one who went to MIT. And I'm asking you, hold on, let me go back to the page six of the screenplay. I'm asking you to do what no one else is willing to do. Yeah. That's what you said earlier in the movie. Remember at the Christmas party when you were drunk on the couch after you didn't get your dream job? And he agrees, He, but he also says like, look, no matter what, I'm not going to leave you here to die. I'm going to come back for you. Back to the future. Beep, 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 beep. 100% match rate. And you're like, what? They did it, Bo. The computer voice told him they got 100% match rate. So I need you to explain something to me. Okay. Because it, at this moment, once they get the toxin, yep. there's a weird like alien eye POV shot as they're fondling this vial of the toxin. Yeah, that's the female waking up from her drug slumber state. Does she know what they're talking about? Of course she does. She's a hyper-intelligent alien. She's got a PhD in microbiology, too. She was roommates with Muri in college. (laughs) Well, regardless. This all goes back because she fucked her boyfriend at homecoming. Ew. I'm not sure which of those is a more disgusting proposition. (laughs) About this time, like 10,000 of these male alien monsters come to attack the fortress surrounding this secret base out in the ocean. It looks like something out of World War Z, but on water. It totally does. That's the best analogy. Miri and Chris Pratt, they strap on safety vest and they grab some laser blast guns and we get this cheap looking CGI battle between Chris Pratt, Muri, and the female White Spike, who gets set free by her minions that come in and like chomp chomp on her chains. The whole thing looks like something from a sci-fi original movie like <laughs> Dino Croc or Sharktopus. Oh, uh, if only the White Stripes were fighting a Sharktopus. How much of this do you want to discuss? It's, it's this long, drawn out, I don't want to call it a game of cat and mouse. They're just hiding behind walls and shooting at aliens. None of it matters. None of it's thrilling. I think the thrust of it is he's got the vial of toxin they end up on a platform together as ev- like shit is completely falling apart at this point they're being overrun 
And she tells him, I need you to make sure that this never happens. And I just want to say how glad I am I got to see you the way I remember you when I was a kid. And then the female shows up, grabs adult Muri as she's falling. And so, like, Chris Pratt is holding on to his adult daughter. The female is hanging on to her. The platform starts to collapse. And he's got, like, 15 seconds before he gets zapped back to the past. Right. And so she ends up falling. And we see her fall in slow motion into this like swirling mass of white stripes down in the water. They're going to eat her. Absolutely. And as he leaps after her. Why would he do that? Because he's terrible at this. And like he's not saving her as she's falling into the mouths of these monsters. Right. What are you going to do? Are you able to fly? Are you Superman? If so, why why have you been sitting on that? Why don't you use your heat vision to kill some of these things? Maybe you just thought this is going to look totally badass. I'm going to get zipped back to the past, falling through the air. And so that's what happens. He ends up falling onto this tarmac with the bile in his hand, all jacked up, and then wakes up yet again. Another scene where Chris Pat just wakes up in a military hospital. Don't worry, you're back here in good old 1985. He says, hey, where's the vial? And they're like, you've got it, dude. We tried to take it from you and you kept smacking us. This is a toxin. We need to mass produce it and send it back to the future and lieutenant hart here says ah, about that uh the jump link uh with the chicken wire and the the chewing gum it's broke can't go back out of order we put a sign up so uh no zipsy zapsies not gonna happen and then chris pratt looks over and there's a cot next to him and charlie was that his name yeah, yeah. sam richardson's character our comic relief he looks over at him and sam richardson stares back and he goes hey man i just hid <laughs> And I was like, dude, no shame in that. Like, he looks real embarrassed to confess this. But I was like, you're going to pluck me off the street, send me in the the future with a high-powered weapon to fight aliens I've never seen before? Dude, I'm going to sit in a dumpster and eat garbage for six days and then zap me back. I'm not losing an arm and a leg for this. I absolutely would be the same way. Like, if I made it back, (laughs) you'd be like, how'd you survive? Like, I found a dumpster and I was there for a week. I had enough rainwater that I could drink. (laughs) and i knew that i wouldn't die not eating for a week but hey by the way anybody got a cheeseburger fyi we are so (laughs) fucked in the future chris pratt he walks out into this crowd and he's greeted by his wife like all these people it's like a an airport where they're waiting arrival of their loved ones and his wife is so happy that he's returned and chris pratt he's kind of got a case of the shakes from all of his trauma boat. And he heads home and sees a young Muri. And she shows up. She's holding a sign that says, Welcome back. I'm sure one of the letters is turned around backward or something like this. And Chris Pratty kneels down and hugs his daughter. And he kind of looks at her with uh, a bit of bewilderment. And it's at this point, I would like to interrupt our conversation and mm-hmm. talk about how pick six movies can make this movie less worse. Okay? Okay. There is a good movie in here. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you broad strokes of how to fix this shit, okay? Okay. You start the movie with what we know is the beginning of Act 2, okay? Okay. We establish adult Muri as the leader of this command group, and there's an alien invasion going on, okay? Mm-hmm. She's not the commander, but she's in the future. She's figured out a way to open a portal to the past. And they're like, hey, look, all of our present-day scientists have been killed. What if we open a portal, we go back to the past and find people that understand biological warfare, bring them here, and we'll figure out a way to kill these aliens. 
Okay. You with me? I'm with you so far. So now our movie cuts to present day, a.k.a. the past. Here we meet Chris Pratt, who is not an asshole, getting drunk and having job interviews on a phone. All right? Uh You get rid of all that. And then in our movie, it is revealed that he does die in a car accident. In the future, okay? Okay. Also, you get rid of all that shit about with J.K. Simmons and him leaving him as a kid. That doesn't matter at all. Just get rid of that storyline. <laughs> sure. You also don't let the entire population of present-day Earth know about this future alien invasion, all right? Okay. You come back to the past, and you see Chris Pratt. He's married. He has a daughter. We don't say her name. And with a very delicate touch, you show that she's interested in science and wormholes. It's very passive, all right? Okay. But it turns out, Bo, that Chris Pratt was an expert in biological warfare from his time in the military. And now he's working as a teacher. Why is he doing that? Because when he was in the military, he used his knowledge to kill people, mm-hmm. all right? And he's real conflicted with what he did as his time as a soldier. Someone knocks on the door and says, hey, the government needs your help. He's like, hey, man, I'm done with that. But they come in and say, here's what's going on. We are from the future. We need you come with us to the future because of this alien invasion. Help us find a toxin to kill them. We will give you the knowledge, send you back to the past. And then when this shit goes down, you have the knowledge to prevent the world from going to hell in a handbasket. You with me? I'm with you so far. He goes to the future. He meets up with what we know is adult Miri, and with her being the one that created this like time travel portal, she chose this time, one, because her dad knows how to fix this shit, and two, her dad dies in a car accident a month or two after the point that we meet that character. You with me? Uh-huh. So she is intentionally going back and getting her dad, one, because he knows how to fix this shit, and two, she gets to see her dad again, right? Mm-hmm. He comes to the future, he gets the knowledge about the toxin, in the process, she dies, he goes back to present day with this information in his head, not a vibe but he knows how to fix this and when he shows up and he sees his daughter which is where we are in this movie now it's much more emotional he knows that he has to use his background in biological warfare to create this toxin to kill these aliens that they now know are under the earth to not kill people but to save people's lives and to save his daughter's life and then you have a big finale where they go and they kill the aliens all right there was a more of an emotional hook that's for sure that was the whole thing and you start out to where there is a sense of redemption he has motivation to not only save the people of earth but to save his daughter he saw her as an adult and then when all this happens at the end he's like you're gonna grow up and live in a world that you have a future as opposed to what i know and again it leans into those tropes of time travel movies that things i do in the past have an impact on things in the future yeah and actually make the time travel matter right because in this movie it doesn't he just comes back and he's like i got a tube of blue stuff but i can't do nothing with it yeah i agree i think all of that would make this movie at least tolerable like you said just give the character some emotional stakes because that does not exist no not in the least after he leaves this facility he gets met by betty gilpin who is like, hey, his wife. Yeah, I'm glad you're back. He acts like he's got PTSD. He's kind of expressionless. But again, don't worry about this because he's going to be fine in a minute. Yeah, maybe he's he's got a case of the shakes because he hasn't had booze. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the plan to keep them split up is starting <laughs> to work. But at home, like child Muri again, greets him at the door with this welcome back sign. And he gives her this big hug and wakes up in the middle of the night later to just stare at his daughter like betty gilpin catches him in her bedroom just staring creepily at what are you doing in here 
I saw her in the future. I was in the future and I ran to her daughter. She's the one who creates time travel. And she's the leader of the resistance. And she's good at science. And then Betty Gilpin is like, look, I'm just so sick of being in this movie. Hey, let me give you a hint. What? What, what if... The yes? reason that you couldn't find where these ships uh-huh. are going to attack is because they, they were... They come from outer space! Now, what if they were here already? And that's why that they didn't show like, up on Like, with Rios. Jesus? Y- yeah, with that's Jesus. That's in the Bible? Um, hey, you know your friend Charlie that you went to Tomorrow War with? Yeah! Go ask him. That's a good idea. You stay here and homeschool our daughter. First, he stops off and meets Dorian, who is the cancer guy who is just drinking his way into the grave, a la Nick Cage from Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah. And in a real trailer (laughs) moment, Chris Pratt is like, hey, I need your help. We're going to go figure out how to kill all these aliens that we don't know exactly where they are, but we kind of think maybe they're here already. And Dorian says, look, it's too late for heroes. Look. I'm not a hero, but if I've got to save the world to save my daughter, I'm damn sure going to do it. Do you still have that claw, by the way? And he's like, yeah, I guess they're partners now. Sure. And so then they go to Charlie because they're just rounding up the gang, you know, getting the band back together. Right. (laughs) And they put the claw under a microscope and Charlie, a.k.a. Sam Richardson, is like, huh, there's volcanic ash on this from China or maybe Korea. I wish we knew a volcano expert. And Chris Pratt's like, oh, God damn it. All right. I think I know one. I just hate him because he's a child and filled with knowledge. And my job as a teacher is to make sure that my kids come out as homogenous and stupid as possible. So we got to our three heroes in the classroom talking to Martin, our dorky kid who loves volcanoes. And Martin says, the millennium eruption took place in 946 AD and it blew volcanic ash all over the earth. Now, there's ash in this mountain in the ice of Russia. But with the melting of the polar ice caps, I would say by the year, hold on, hmm, 2040. All of this ice will be gone. And Chris Pratt says, They didn't dig their way out. They found their way out. Quick, to the Christmas Batmobile. And they all run over and they go talk to this bureaucrat, Dodd. I still can't believe that he worked for the Department of Defense. Hey, we need to get into Russia to kill all the aliens. And Dodd's like, mm, No. So then Sam Richardson says, Hmm, we need a plane and a pilot with a luxurious beard and a bald head and like a sculpted body for an older man and an ability to teach children in a very questionable way how to play drums. Do you know anybody like that? Chris Pratt's like, do I? Yeah, so off we go to the real hero of this movie. Yeah. J.K. Simmons. Yep. And Chris Pratt, it, like, it's a scene played for laughs, but there's a moment in it I really like where Chris Pratt is like, um, listen, Dad, we need you to fly us into hostile territory in Russia so that we can find an alien spaceship and we thought you were just the guy to do it there's a throwaway joke where jk simmons says well they always say if your children show up they need something and this is the moment i actually like and i think if you had left all that other crap out this would have been a nice moment where chris pratt says dad i need your help and jk simmons kind of stares out for a second says i'll get my coat and if you had left the other stuff off and just let it be that emotional beat of i don't care what it is i will help you then i think it would have been better or less worse (laughs) I think that with my contrived rewriting of this script, you could keep the J.K. Simmons part of this in the film. You got to get rid of the Christmas card and him throwing it away and all that. But coming and asking him for help and then walking away Mm -hmm. of like, you know what? I don't want your help. 
And then here coming back as an act of, he's in a pinch. Yeah. 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 To your point, having his father say like, I will help you because you're my son. Yeah. It certainly could have worked to give the movie another layer of just emotional caring for the audience. Why would you write into this that Chris Pratt's character left the family because he didn't like his life? Can I see that playing out? Of course. But that doesn't make us like the main character. It makes him seem like more of a shit bag. He had one bad job interview and then just decided that he was going to leave his wife somewhere down the line. Right. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Anyway, so we're we're almost done with this god awful. Oh mess. yeah. So we we jump in a plane and we fly to Russia to land on a snow mountain. Mm-hmm. How they landed this plane, don't worry about it. And they brought with them Lieutenant Hart mm-hmm. from earlier in the movie on the soccer pitch and eight snowmobiles. <laughs> yeah oh my god the end of this movie is i had checked out prior to this as soon as Uh, as uh the movie hit the point of like we got to go back to this kid who's a volcano expert that was the point where i was like i'm done the first time i saw it making it through to the end of this now a couple of times it was like oh my god this is even stupider than i thought they make their way to like tatooine and then everybody just dismounts their snowmobile they're walking along and chris pratt says hey do you feel that and jk simmons says i feel something electrical and then they take a few steps and then Somebody sets up this ring of explosives Mm -hmm. that blows open a crater. It's seriously like the size of six football pitches, Mm but it's culture. That's what I'm <laughs> Yeah, you're you're a real cosmopolitan. <laughs> so these explosives blow up and creates entry into these ice caverns that look like something you would find in a children's science museum. Mm-hmm. You know, like an exhibit about Antarctica. <laughs> and yeah. it, it looks so cheap. Everybody just like trudges down into the belly of these ice caverns and they find this spaceship that is crash landed and it is hypothesized that the aliens were the drivers of the ship but they were cargo that were probably going to be used as weapons whatever in this movie please by the way is kind of the plot of the movie alien (laughs) not for nothing But as they go into that spaceship, they find the space jockey, I think is what he's referred to. And they're like, oh, all these aliens must have killed all the people who really were flying this spaceship. So, by the way, also kind of the plot of the movie The Thing. So all of our crew, they go inside the spaceship, but they leave J.K. Simmons and Charlie outside to crack jokes and make sure that they shoot and kill anything that sneaks out. And then Chris Pratt and his team of nameless soldiers, they tromp around inside. I think Lieutenant Hart's with them and maybe that guy Dorian with cancer. He's in there. And they find this hibernation chamber filled with aliens and they just start injecting them with the mass-produced toxin that they have. And then they start placing C4 all over the ship to blow it one thing that they did not anticipate which is stupid is that when they start injecting these aliens with this toxin they scream and die hideously sure and so all that screaming and dying hideously wakes up the others and they're like oh boy oh boy we better blow this thing up So therein lies the reason that all of a sudden we got to blow up this spaceship. Dorian appears to sacrifice his life by planting the explosives and setting them off to save others. At one point, J.K. Simmons and Charlie, they're outside and a couple of these white spites sneak out. Charlie proves he's not a coward by killing one of them with 
a mechanical saw. Mm-hmm. Much like the dude from Army of the Dead. The soldiers we don't care about. They get blown up in the spaceship. Dorian detonates all of the explosives and he lives the way that he wanted to live and died the way he wanted to die. Or whatever. Yes. Yeah. The female queen, she's a real troublemaker, Bo. She escapes and hustles out. So Chris Pratt and J.K. Simmons, they hop onto their snowmobiles to go chase down the female queen alien. And the queen alien sees J.K. Simmons and takes over to attack him. But it turns out that J.K. Simmons, he just made a little snowman, put his coat on it. Let me ask you this, Chad. Are we to (laughs) presume that this female that they're chasing here is the one from the future? I did because I didn't care. Yeah. Like, I don't know what the lifespan of an alien queen. Plus, she wouldn't have thought out as quickly. So, sure. Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. It doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. There's Unless no the sequel here. involves the other queen alien or something. Yeah. But So, this queen alien, she's kind of pissed off because she attacked a snowman mm-hmm. and she's kind of embarrassed. <laughs> sure. It's humiliating for if you're an alien. If <laughs> Your only job is to murder and eat. And if you get had by a snowman. If this gets out to the other aliens. You don't want to be the only one like getting had by a snowman because like, your buddies are like elbowing you and shit. And me. Right. You're basically the kid who shit his pants in second grade and never lives that down. Mm-hmm. Did you hear? Queenie? She, she thought it was J.K. Simmons. It was a snowman. She can't tell the difference between J.K. Simmons and a snowman. Look at him. He's a sculpted god. Out of three <laughs> fucking balls of snow yeah you idiot boy is there snow on her face you know (laughs) the alien queen decides to make up for it and go kill jk simmons but to save his dad Bo, chris pratt drives his snowmobile off of an embankment flies through the air and crashes into the side of this alien beast it is unbelievably dopey not since bruce willis flew a car into a plane in that terrible Die Hard sequel. Have you just been like, eh, I don't think so. I thought he drove a snowmobile into something in Die Hard too. I need to go back and listen to our episode on that. I thought that happened there. Maybe so. Anyway, I mean, this is equally dumb is the point. They fill up this alien with bullets. And then J.K. Simmons and Chris Pratt, they go cheek to cheek. And uh, they're like turning in a circle looking for the alien queen. And then she leaps from the snow and Chris Pratt stabs her with the tooth that Dorian gave him a little earlier in the movie. And then J.K. Simmons does a little hatchet work on her. And I think that the creature might be blind now. They end up blinding her with the axe and the tooth. And science. And science. And then there's a point where they stab her. J.K. Simmons, I think, stabs her with the the toxin in the Uh arm, and she chews her arm off. That was pretty good. Yeah. Rather than melt like the others have. Right. And so even though she's blind and kind of flailing around to kill Chris Pratt and J.K. Simmons, J.K. Simmons just grabs a knife, slides it over his hand, and tells Chris Pratt, like, Boy, I'm sorry for everything. Important detail. A little earlier in the movie, they said that the aliens can smell blood from 12 miles away or something like that. I think it's probably like 16 kilometers. (laughs) Sure. That's my Pottersville callback. I've been waiting to do that one. (sighs) Anyway, so it starts to go for (laughs) J.K. Simmons because he's going to sacrifice himself to save his son, right? A lot of people sacrificing themselves in this. Sure. Is that the Sabbath? 
I think it is. <laughs> Probably so. This is how a lot he of gets Christ it imagery heaven. in this one. What a Jesus Christ imagery. Before the female gets to J.K. Simmons, Chris Pratt comes out of nowhere. He's like, ha ha! And uses the claw and other stuff. Bo, he bare knuckle, he fights like him. 1920s handlebar mustache boxer style fights this alien. A hundred percent. That is entirely accurate. It's crazy he boxes this alien and then stabs in the mouth with the toxin yeah he reaches into his vest and he's like oh my gosh i totally forgot i got another thing of toxin right here here's my spare (laughs) so the thing starts melting and falls off a cliff and just the way our movie started it ends with the yeah, people just splatting. And then they both collapse onto the ground. Oh boy, that was a real something. And out of nowhere, Chad. Yeah. Cubs Charlie flopping on the ground too. And you're like, dude, they took snowmobiles here. <laughs> right. How did you get here? Are you a Superman too? It's like that zombie king at the end of Army of the Dead when he went from one hotel to the other. It's like, whoop. There he is. Charlie has <laughs> mastered teleportation like Seth Brundle from The Fly. We have a little moment where they all kind of chuckle about this. And then in my head, I was like, how are they getting back to civilization? Where is this plane? How does it take off? Hey, don't worry about none of that, Chad. <laughs> Cut to a bunch of reporters talking on the news about this explosion in Russia and uh-huh. how the Department of Defense and DOT in particular okayed this whole secret mission to go blow up all the aliens. Right. And then we see that Betty Gilpin and Muri are watching this on the news. And then Chris Pratt just comes home. He's like, hey, everybody, did you see on the news where I was a hero and everything? I was the best there was because I was willing to do the thing that nobody else would do. And oh, by the way, Muri, this is your grandpa, J.K. Simmons, the best part of this movie and the best part of almost any movie he's in. Don't you forget about me. Then we get for the (laughs) first time in the movie voiceover where Chris Brown is like, boy, that was some adventure, huh? I was so worried about what was in front of me that I forgot about the one thing that was most important. The best future was always right in front of me. And you're like, what? (laughs) It is the dumbest ending. As much of a bummer as Army of the Dead was of just like, guess what? A guy got away. Uh Uh-oh, he's dead. As much of a bummer as that was, the voiceover out of nowhere in this about like, well, I guess we all learned a lesson tonight, everybody. (laughs) Like, this is radically out of place. Oh, it was truly, truly stupid. So I've been itching to ask you this as we do at the end of every season. Mm -hmm. I love to hear your ranking of this music because one thing I did enjoy about this, there was a real variety of films that we watched for this season. Yeah. It wasn't like our previous season where it was all horror-based or, you know, other genres that seemed to be tightly woven together. It was a real cornucopia. Can you believe we started with a Lindsay Lohan amnesia movie? (laughs) Set at Christmas. Yeah. And then we ended with Chris Pratt, Donnie Brooke boxing an alien. (laughs) While J.K. Simmons looks on. Sorry, not my tempo. So, how do you rank these? Worst for me, I think, is Army of the Dead. Okay. All right, because I think Army of the Dead is super long. I hate everything about it. It, It's a god-awful movie. I I would agree with that. I think Tomorrow War is number five. All right. For all the reasons we've talked about on (laughs) this show. Okay. I think number four. 
four is Samaritan because it it's just kind of dull. Okay. Number three is Bird Box. Oh, I'm so intrigued by how we're one and two are going to be. My number two is is probably going to be Falling for Christmas. Okay. Grading on the scale of all of these are terrible. Bright is the one that I at least think had interesting ideas at times and just totally <laughs> shit the bed. What if in aliens the represented minorities in America? Yeah, but be, like there was some world building, and I, I like I think Joel Egerton is actually kind of good in it. Hey, look at that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are moments when I'm watching that where I'm like, man, th- there is a movie here that I would genuinely enjoy, but it overplays its hand at every step of the way and just it, like the characters are inconsistent. Like, go back and listen to that episode if you didn't listen to it, Ladies and Jelly Spoons, and you'll see how to make this movie less worse. I think is really good. Like, I think we could fix that movie pretty easily. Now, you took us to the top of the mountain. I'm going to start at the top of the mountain and go down. Okay. All right. And this is just based on sheer entertainment value to the general public. Okay. Number one, the best movie we watched this season was Falling for Christmas. Uh, and Yeah, all right. Yeah, that's why I was, so, I was literally on the edge of my seat. I was like, are we going to have the same number one? Because it doesn't pretend to be anything other than what it is. There are a few twists and turns and character development with her boyfriend being bisexual or gay or what's going Like, that was a little bit surprising. The weirdness of Santa Claus. I think Lindsay Lohan is a very talented actress. I don't think that's a very good movie. I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to watching that St. Patrick's Day movie she's got coming up. <laughs> sure. I would absolutely watch it. My number two is Samaritan, which... Which that should come as no surprise. I am a Stallone apologist. I like watching him play one of these subtle, understated characters. My number three is Bird Box because I think that that is trying to be a legitimate movie and it's not very good. Number four is Army of the Dead. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. And again, at this point, I'm grading on 100 percentage points differences between these movies. Bright, which I hated for every reason possible, <laughs> is my number five. But Tomorrow War, because of its soulless, vapid, empty, shallow shell of a confusing movie is my bottom that's my ranking don't watch any of these movies at all none of them are worth your time falling for christmas it really is it's not so bad it's good kind of thing but it's short it's inoffensive it's it's not funny it's not good but it's fun to laugh at the double amnesia thing is still my favorite thing we talked about this season I had fun watching it, yeah. and I look forward to reviewing it when I did my first pass on that. One quick thing. I just wanted to say, you were talking earlier about certain movies that lend themselves to be streaming films. The Big Sick, I think, is one of the, the best movies over on Amazon. I think if it's still there. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen that, it is the best romantic comedy I've seen in the last probably 10 years. Genuinely funny with a-plus talent in that. I'm trying to think of anything else is like that I would recommend as an A-plus guaranteed slam dunk. In and of itself, over on Hulu, mm-hmm. was the best thing I saw during the pandemic. If you didn't see that, go watch it. There's a lot of good comedy, a lot of good stand-up. There's a lot of bad stand-up out there. But I, I really like that there are comedians that are able to connect with an audience to get more people to go see live comedy. Nate Bergazzi was one who has done multiple specials over the last few years that has really gotten some notoriety. 
anything that you would recommend like this was really good because we you know watched a bunch of garbage but anything out there that's aside from like streaming series or things like that but anything you would recommend yeah sure the peanut butter falcon i think is kind of an underrated little scene gem it has a real uh, they don't make them like this anymore kind of vibe to it of just hey let's throw these two unlikely characters together on a road trip and i thought that was pretty good i really enjoyed that uh uh ben affleck movie where he was like the uncle that owned the bar and his nephew was oh yeah becoming a writer like going to college the tinder bar the tinder bar i think is the name of it that sounds right but that was again one of those movies that like you're never gonna see this movie in a theater or as an art house theater you know something that gets a little bit of buzz that might have some traction something that came out that really got a well, I guess in certain circles, a lot of us. I thought Bo Burnham's Inside certainly deserved the praise that it got as sort of a representing the impact of the pandemic and just Bo Burnham as an interesting comedian and as a person. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really worthwhile. I discovered the comedy of Tom Papa, which I don't know that I would have necessarily done outside of streaming services as well. Neil Brennan has two really good specials um, sure. that are out there. I mean, Chappelle... Despite all of the controversy around that, I think he's still the greatest comedian working today. Because I'm a horror fan and Shudder does a lot of like straight to streaming pickups. And they did one, it's a movie called Mad God by a filmmaker named Phil Tippett who did stop motion animation for like the Star Wars movies and stuff like that. He'd been working on this movie for like a a couple of decades Mm -hmm. and finally got distribution through Shudder. The only comparison I can make is it's like all of the animated sequences sequences from pink floyd's the wall only stop motion and it's it's nightmarish and surreal and unlike anything i've ever seen like i'll never forget watching mad god and it's it's certainly not for everybody but like it is the reason that streaming can be a very good thing because it is delivering movies that are very niche to that kind of audience and and allowing for like actual art to get to people and yeah that's a terrific movie I'll also throw out there that the Maria Bamford series Lady Dynamite. Oh yeah, that's terrific. over on Netflix. If you're a comedy fan, you absolutely should watch that show, or at least give a handful of episodes worth their day in court because it is one of the most indescribably funny things that I've seen. And I'll tell you another series that really blew me away was an HBO series called Somebody Somewhere, starring Bridget. Everett, who is a comedian. You may know her from certain things. She actually has a small part on Lady Dynamite, but it's about a woman who moves back to her hometown and is dealing with the death of her sister and her family. And it was one of the most charming funny genuinely good shows i i don't think it's gonna get a second season and i think it's maybe six or eight episodes but it was one of the best things that i saw on a streaming service so over on hbo it's middle america an incredibly talented comedian and deals with just some really heavy subject matter in an incredibly funny charming heartwarming way so I can't say enough good things about somebody somewhere. Great. Yeah. So there's good stuff to be had for sure. Like there's- yeah, we don't just watch shit all the time and come on this podcast and bitch about it. We watch good stuff. If you want to talk about something that's a little shorter form than a series like that, like Craig Maslin's 
Chernobyl on HBO is like one of the most powerful pieces of television you're ever going to see. And these streaming services do good work, but these aim for the fences, big budget blockbuster stuff like leave that to the Disney's of the world and right. Universal Disney, your big power players, let them do Which You know, what's crazy. If you look at again, at the time of this recording, we're just at the start of 2023 and you look at the series of tentpole movies that are coming out over the next 10 months. And it's just so many heavy hitters from those studios. I cannot wait to see how the public responds to all of these films that are coming out. Cause I think that theaters are going to be full driven by these major marquee titles, whether it's Indiana Jones or Mission Impossible, trying to think what else is out there. I mean, you know, more Marvel movies or animated films that everyone seems to come out of the woodwork to go see. So it should be a good year for movies and garbage. Speaking of garbage. Yes, please. We've watched a lot of bad movies this season. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes you and I have watched movies and said, this was the worst movie we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to see if we could find a season of movies that would introduce films that would give every truly terrible movie we've ever seen a real run for its money as the worst movie we've ever reviewed. And there's nothing worse than a cash grab movie where filmmakers come in and they say, hey, here's something that's momentarily popular. How about we make a movie based on this? So for our 24th season, we are going to be featuring a theme titled Pop Culture Club that will contain six movies based on something that rose to the heights of pop culture fanaticism so much so that filmmakers said hey let's make a movie about this and squeeze a few bucks out of these suckers can you give me an example chad oh i'll give you an example because the inaugural movie for this particular season we're going to kick things off with a film that is notoriously terrible it currently has a zero percent freshness rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And we're going to be reviewing a lot of these, but Mm -hmm. I'm talking about a film that is based on the incredibly popular trading card phenomena, The Garbage Pail Kids, in a movie that was cleverly titled The Garbage Pail Kids Movie. A movie that's so bad, you can't even watch it on streaming services. You have to go buy a DVD of it to watch this film. That seems like money and time well spent, Chad. Absolutely. If we quit buying garbage, the economy just stops. We saw that during the pandemic. All I can say is I cannot wait to really dive into greaser greg and valerie vomit mm-hmm. alligator mm-hmm. diarrhea donnie Are you sure uh, gonorrhea gary herpes henry hiv valerie oh that's a sad one a little that was the fifth series they were really pushing for how they could still be controversial yet not completely offend everyone perhaps they crossed a line is what yeah. i will say racist ralph what are we doing here yeah i don't you know yeah we don't we anti-semitic don't sam like come on guys what are we doing nazi ned was a bad idea <laughs> right terrible yeah. pedophile beat Ooh. like really it's a certain point you gotta stop why are you doing this you're just you're just <laughs> trying to be shocking as opposed to good natured fun like valerie bomb <laughs> yeah that sounds terrible chad and it will be so as always like rate review you can send us an email at pick six movies at gmail.com Bo, do you have any final final thoughts on the tomorrow war boy i'm sure glad to be fighting dinosaurs again what do you mean they canceled jurassic world oh boy we'll see everybody in two weeks time thank you for listening